The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. It's time to face the music. It's your day in court with a people's lawyer, Bruce Hagan and attorney Ray Judice. Welcome back. Your day in court is the name of the show with two renowned lawyers that have discussed a case that we started with, the Darren Chauvin case last week, uh, Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. I want to pick up where we left off because we got into it in depth, but there's things now that have happened since then that I want to cover with folks that are listening right now because I think they'll find it fascinating as most people find it fascinating. Very sad, obviously, but you can't help but be fascinated by the way the law works. And that's what this show is all about. So let's pick up, Bruce, and let's talk about the things that are happening next. Uh, Let's start with the jurors. Yeah, well, as we've seen this week, the uh, jurors are starting to come forward and tell their story a little bit about what went on in deliberations. And this was one of the things we discussed, that um, likely the defense lawyers will be paying very close attention to everything that jurors say just to see if there's any basis to say there was something improper happening during deliberations. You know, do they mention something about perhaps going and doing their own investigation or looking outside of just what the evidence was that was presented in court to try to base their decision? Do they mention any sort of undue influence that took place in the jury room that might lead somebody to uh, improperly render a verdict? They're, they're going to be listening intently. And so I'm sure the prosecution is nervous as can be when they see these jurors going out on tour. And, and one of them in particular, I saw making the rounds on, on several TV talk shows. And it's like, look, this is an opportunity for him to promote his brand for whatever it is that his platform Maybe is. Maybe a book later down the road. Who knows? It didn't sound to me like he was a zealot in any direction or anybody who was doing anything other than fulfilling his civic duty uh, and just talking about what it meant to fulfill the civic duty. But he also was saying some things about how important it is in the larger scheme of things. This was a black male juror saying that how important it is for black men to show up for jury service. Um, and it kind of leads to the prospect of a concept of juror nullification. Juror nullification is the idea that um, black citizens should show up for jury service and should not find black defendants guilty of any crime. Even if it, that's not what he was saying. Even, even if that's not what he's saying. Here it's almost a reverse uh, situation, which they'll probably argue on appeal, that perhaps this guy was showing up as a black man to make sure there was a conviction, regardless of what the evidence said. I see. It's not what he said, um, but but somebody could pull that, and and why not um, throw that out there as a basis for? Well, then you get into the voir dire, which is jury selection questions, and so if this individual, this juror, had an agenda. Did he not answer the questions in both? There's two types of voir dire questions. There's a, a written form that you fill out for the clerk and the judge, and that tends to be basic age, where do I live, my educational background, employment, so we, we lawyers get a little fact sheet. And then we ask verbal questions, and also the judge does qualifying questions. Sir, example, do you actually live in this county? Do you have a felony? Because if you do, you can't serve on a jury. Uh, so the issue is, did he have an agenda that he hid from the lawyers and the court 
in order to get on to the jury. Right. And and certainly in what he's been saying publicly, there's nothing to indicate that to be the case. But these are the sorts of things that the lawyers will be listening very carefully to try to, to, to pick up on. We got 11 more. Right. <laughs> and, and so one of the things I heard him say uh, yesterday, um, and it was very interesting to me, was that they really, the jurors, really wanted to hear Derek Chauvin testify. And, and they said, you know, we needed to hear it from him, what he was thinking, what his mindset was. Um, and that's interesting because we, you know, we touched on this last week. If part of your defense is that the officer felt uh, pressured by the people who were standing around him or was concerned for his own safety because of an unstable situation, either from the spectators or uh, from Mr. Floyd himself, that's something that really did need to come from Chauvin's lips. And of course, Chauvin exercised uh, his, as, as they say sometimes, his fifth dimension uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. against self-incrimination. Well, it, it's the functional equivalent of making a self-defense defense, that I used violent force to react to violent force. And that is, a, is both a physical, factual evaluation, but it's also a state of mind. And the only way to get that state of mind is to the jury is have the defendant testify. Yeah, and just a just, uh, quick sidebar, but it reminded me, and the, the juror who spoke out is a guy named Brandon Mitchell, um, 31-year-old black male, again, seems to be very level-headed, mentioned just how stressful it was, this, this whole process. Uh, but when he said how you know the jurors all wanted to hear the defendant testify that it would have made their life easier, it reminded me. I, and you know I'm a personal injury lawyer. I do I do civil cases. But when I was just starting out, I did some criminal trials, and we had a DUI case where we were not going to let our client take the stand. There was no way. Uh, and and remarkably, we got an acquittal on the case. But the jurors afterwards uh, wanted to question the defendant specifically. And this one lady looked at my client, and said, "Young man, if you had just testified, it would have made our job so much easier." And I'm thinking to myself. Yeah, it would have made your jobs yeah. easier. You would have convicted him on the spot. Right, which, but is, again, which is your job to, right, to, to help. This is why we didn't have him testify. But again, in your case and in the Floyd case, the jurors were instructed that the defendant's Fifth Amendment rights protected him from being forced to testify and that you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, shall not hold that against him in your deliberations. Now, we're getting pretty – we might be getting close to that if someone says, hey, it would have made my job easier, and the fact that he didn't testify, we – interpreted that as as guilt well i don't know i can see that because just as a layman a guy that has watched a whole bunch of court on tv that's about my experience with it. it's why it's so good to talk to you two about it because immediately i can't help it and i know i'm not supposed to but as soon as they say i'm not testifying you're like well why not that's human nature. Uh, it right? is human nature. Yeah. I don't know how you separate the two. I, I don't know how you do it. You know it's, what happens? I'm sorry, Dre, but sometimes when people blurt things out in court that they're not supposed to say, and if the judge does not want to just declare a mistrial and start over from scratch, what do they tell the jury? You do ignore that. It you didn't happen. Ignore what you just heard, and and as soon as the jury hears that, that's the only thing they remember. Then they look at their what? What is? Yeah. What, tell me what, what I missed it. What do you say? And it gets said 27 times. So right. sometimes I've done it. You don't want the curative instruction. That's what it means to cure the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, judge just once was enough. We don't yeah. need you to emphasize this. Yeah. yeah, no, I get it. It, it is. It, it's fascinating. It's um, mind-boggling. There's so much that goes into the legal system that that I don't think most people know. That's the beauty of this show. Your day in court with Bruce Hagen and Ray Judice. My name is Tug Cowart. So we've got a couple minutes left. So let's get started with the delay in sentencing because that's another thing that I think people are probably wondering why that's happening. I think especially on a televised trial, what folks thought was the foreperson and the clerk would read the verdict and the judge would have the defendant stand up and the prosecutor would make a recommendation and the judge would sentence and 
out he would walk out with handcuffs, which he did, but that's because he doesn't have a, a bond. So right. he's going back into the into custody for that. Sentencing has been delayed to the 25th, I believe, of June. Uh, that's a little unusual. Uh, you would have thought, I would think, that these lawyers have been working on this case for pretty much better part of a year. Uh, I wouldn't think he has an f- extensive criminal history since he was in law enforcement. One never knows. So you've got a lot of mitigation, meaning positive things, high school diploma, military service, whatever it is, to present. And that should have been ready because you don't know if the judge is going to delay sentencing. Uh, you need to be prepared. You might get sentenced right there. Why do judges do that? Well, because, number one, there's something about justice. The, jury, the, the smoke's still in the room. You know, let's sentence. Secondly, there's a difference in federal sentencing, which has a very post-judgment uh, investigation, very thorough, that the judges want in federal court, and an elected judge in the state court who's got 12 jurors who are 12 voters in his or her courtroom, and they want to mete out punishment right then and there. So those 12 folks go back to their community, their church, their school, and say, boy, that judge— he did the right thing. She did the right. She laid it on him. Put yes. him under the prison. Let's vote for him again. That's next darn time. right. That's right. Because that justifies and emphasizes the correctness of their decision. Great conversation. That'll continue on the other side of the break here on Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. When we come back, we've got a couple of conversations that I think you'll be fascinated by. One of them involves a kid in high school. Where does freedom of speech begin and end? During the school day, we'll discuss it next on Your Day in Court here on Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. When you buy a used car, don't be taken for a ride. Get Ford Blue Advantage certified at Wade Ford, Atlanta's headquarters for factory certified pre-owned vehicles. Go to wadeford.com. There you'll find a great selection of Ford Blue Advantage certified used cars, trucks, and SUVs with Blue certified. Nearly all makes and all models are in stock now. You'll find something perfect for just about any budget. Buy with confidence at the Wade Ford factory certified used car outlet at wadeford.com. Wade Ford, we are Atlanta's Ford dealer. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 1063. Welcome back to your day in court here on Extra 1063 with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. My name is Tug Cowards. I want to get into a story that is in front of the Supreme Court now because my son is around the same age as the young lady that is involved in this case. She was a cheerleader. She didn't make the high school varsity cheerleading team. She made the JV team. She goes in a profanity-laced Snapchat post. But because of that, she got in trouble at her school, which, look, you see these stories happening all the time, and that leads to the question, where does a school's authority begin and end? Where does this young woman's First Amendment freedom of speech rights begin and end. Where do you pick this up, Bruce? I'm going to let you start. Yeah, and obviously this particular instance, uh, we're talking about a public school. Mm -hmm. This, I mean, obviously issues at private schools are different. Private schools are not uh, governed by the same rules as a government-funded school would be. So in this particular case, you know, that the um, student was upset. She didn't make the cheerleading team. She went on a 
uh, profanity-laced tirade on Snapchat. She was not on campus when it happened. She was not in school when it happened. Uh, and she's saying f this, f that, and yeah, talking it yeah to the other to, to who, you know whoever yeah. sees her Snapchat. coaches. Well, but she was directing it toward other cheerleaders, coaches, probably the school administration. I mean, there's a yes. lot of people that she was angry with. Sure. And so the school says, well, um, we are aware that this. You've made these statements, and you are going to be punished for this. She was kicked off of the JV team, uh, and there might have been some other punishments. So the family sued, said, you know, you're violating this girl's First Amendment rights of free speech. And and the issues are very complex in, in the era we're in of social media, uh, where you have an enormous platform, uh, every kid Everybody has an enormous does. platform, right. and an era where we're very concerned with issues of bullying, both in person and um virtual bullying. We're concerned about racism. We're concerned about um, issues of teenage suicide and peer pressure and the, and the way that this all, this all affects everybody. And we're concerned that there are so many more social issues that, that young people are getting involved with. You know, I mean, um, the things you do off campus, are you going to be criticized for that because you wear a Black Lives Matter t-shirt at a rally or you wear a Confederate flag at a rally? You know, are these the sort of things that haunt you at school? And so these are very relevant issues that these uh, ancient uh, justices on the Supreme Court are going to take up. Yeah. And, and what's interesting here is where do kids talk nowadays? Yeah. On they're, social media. Yeah. More they're than not, in person. They're not writing letters to the editor or the school newspaper or little inscriptions in the yearbook. It's all with their thumbs, you know. And, and immediate. And immediate, right. right. There's you no don't filter. have time to filter your thoughts. You don't have time to, you know what, I've written this letter to the editor. I, you know, maybe it's not the best thing to say. Or at least not timely. Yes. Yeah, so, well, well but, that's, but, but that's my point. Exactly you don't right. have time to even review what you've said because as soon as you say it and hit send, it's out. And, and the other part of this is, was the punishment equal to the offense? So she basically said bad words about the system, about the what the happened, coaches, but she never players. made any threats. Mm-hmm. She never tried to say someone should you know die a, a painful death. There was none of that. It was just, Vintage. darn it, I'm PO'd that yeah. I got cut from the squad, and the system stinks, you know, and a little stronger than that. And, and you know, I think it was actually Justice Kavanaugh who coaches a uh, girl softball or something and said, you know, this was just heavy-handed. Uh, we've got kids, they strike out, and they, they, I can see them muttering something on their way back to the bench, or I can't start every kid, so the kid that didn't get to start at first base is unhappy and disappointed and maybe called me a, a name or something. Yeah. What are we going to do, suspend them from a year from a very important social activity, or maybe they're trying to get a scholarship from a certain activity? So I think there's many parts of this, and as I think Bruce says, what the Supreme Court tends to do on cases that they take up voluntarily, it's called the writ of certiorari. The Supreme Court says we don't have to take this case, but these issues are so important and they transcend not just young Miss Levy's case, but perhaps thousands of similarly situated people that we can start to send out some rules. And I think this is going to affect not just students, but employees. I mean, if my clients or my staff goes home at the end of the day and they say, boy, Ray was really a you know what today, and da, 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 and, but they did a great job all day, yeah. and they and my clients love them, and they're there, you know, ten minutes early and stayed twenty minutes late. Well, what what can I do about that? Now I'm a private organization, but what about a government school? And I think Bruce, you're all right. There's a number of cases where some teachers have been seen on video attending the 
insurrection, the riots, the demonstrations in Washington, D.C. early. It depends from your perspective. Yeah. And they've they've lost their jobs. They've sure. been fired or sure. didn't get tenure or didn't get a certain, uh, you know, superior evaluation and, and uh, that. So uh, is that right? You know, should the government punish an employee who expresses themselves in a nonviolent way? Right. And is that protected speech and, and protected by the Constitution so that um, – a, a government institution can't punish you for that, right? And, and so that's at the heart of this case, and it's very interesting. And certainly they recognize that schools have authority to administer discipline for their students and protect the health, safety, and well-being of students for things that happen on campus, right? And, and the line overflows, right? A prom may be held off campus, but it's a school event, a, a field trip. You know, you're still on a school event. Here with social media, you know, you could be anywhere. You're in your living room, right? You could be out in a park. And, and you're making a post, but is somebody seeing that in the school, library, cafeteria, in class? So, so you know, it's a communication made from your own remote place that's not on campus and not during school hours, but it's it exists out there, and we're foolish to think that it's not known by everybody within that school community. There was an incident recently uh, in City of Decatur where a kid was recorded, uh, and he was saying word for word, um, reciting a rap song that used some racial epithets, um, and it was very nasty what he was saying, and it was recorded. And then a year later, his friend who had recorded it um, against this kid's wishes posted it on some social media platform. The school became aware of it. The school expelled him for this. And so this was then a case at the local level that was challenged and fought, and, you know, the, the local school board and, you know, this family has gone through a lot of stress. The community went through stress. You know, I mean, they, they we're in a very sensitive time, right, where, where racial speech is magnified and, and people are really on edge. And so um, there was nobody who was willing to say, well, it's just a 14-year-old kid being stupid and saying something. No, you're expelled. We can't tolerate this sort of behavior on campus. And so... It, that this is almost exactly the same sort of case where that could be the basis of a constitutional challenge. And I know that um, the folks involved with that are going to wait and see what this ruling is from the Supreme Court in the Levy case because it's right any, on point. And what if any punishment was for the rapper who wrote, sang, right. produced, and perhaps profited from the exact, I'll assume, the exact same language? That doesn't seem fair, which is sort of, again, the overarching theory here is, uh, of the show. Is that right? I mean, what if he had gone to the town square of this young man and recited the Declaration of Independence, you know, the, the charge of the light brigade? No, he recited a, a rap song right. that you could get on one of the streaming channels and listen to YouTube. all the time you want, or YouTube. Right. And so he gets punished for that? He didn't create that language? I assume it was done in a, in a musical way, and he wasn't directing it at any individual. I don't know that fact, but... It seems harmless. I right. mean, it quite frankly seems harmless. And again, the reaction to that seems to me not fair. What would you do if this is your client in this situation? How do you handle that case? Yeah, you know, you, you point to the same sort of concepts of it's freedom of expression, right? Sure. And and it's always different to me when you're dealing with young adolescents because their brain brains are not fully formed. Heck, half the lawyers we know, their brains aren't fully formed. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it, when you're dealing with an adolescent, it seems like you really have to just apply some common sense mm -hmm. um, rules to this. There should always be, I mean, look, you're a school, right? The concept of a teaching moment mm -hmm. or a teachable that's a, that's moment. A perfect one. You know I mean? Come on. It, if there's ever one right now that calls for it, it's, it's that sort of a case, right? Mm -hmm. This kid needs to learn 
um, what's what's right and what's wrong. You know, whether it's legally protected speech or not, you know, have you need to learn what's right and what's wrong, and, and that there are other folks out there in the world, and 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 people who are so violently offended by this because of what's happening society wide can also perhaps consider that, you know, there's there's some room here for interpretation, particularly where, you know, it is a confusing time for some people when it's like, hey, you know, these musical artists put forth this message here to the world and they're rewarded for it and enriched by it. And yet, you know, nobody else can say those same words um, because we don't look like them. Or be- behave in the misogynistic Way. Yeah, because there's a lot of hip hop that, it, and look, I again going back to what got this started is I have a set, almost 17 year old son, and I have to talk to him about that stuff all the time. I'm like, I understand, I get it. You like the song, you like the artist. He's the coolest guy. He's the you know he's the one that I want to be like. He's the one that that I want to dress like. I get it. However, at the same time, you have to have just some wherewithal of what is happening in the world, though it isn't fair. Nothing in life is fair. And I try to emphasize that with him all the time. Dude, it isn't fair. Nothing in life is fair. Maybe that's your moment where you say this isn't fair, and there'll be somebody else that's in a different situation altogether and say, hey, that's not fair. And you look at it and go, eh, you know, I don't really see it that way. We know this, and and it's not anything new, but there are words that some people can say that other people can't say. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, and, and, you know, growing up Jewish in New York, there were there were words that, you know, we could say about ourselves. Uh, if anybody else said it, there was going to be a fight. Yeah, sure. Uh, and on the other and, side of the street, we Italians growing up in New York have a set of words that we can call each other and moan. Moments of either anger, frustration, or right. comedy that we don't really want other people calling us outside yeah. the family, outside yeah. the network. Yeah, no, and that's, it's, and that's always been true. That's a different dynamic altogether because that is real. That is life, whether you like it or not. That's really the way life works. Yeah, and you know, it's it's dismissive to say that oh, this is just the era of political correctness and this is the cancel culture run wild. You know, I, th- I think that's just really nonsense because this stuff has gone on for as long as I can remember, and sure. I'm an old guy. Just not as fast and as hard and as overwhelming right right to that you that's a tsunami of criticism that you can't let alone escape you can't fight back once mm-hmm. once you're behind it you know and you're getting blacked block marked off of lists and not invited to parties and people are putting things on social media that you can't defend against it. Well, right. the, the megaphone is, is yeah, enormous right. now. Is you know, a better way to say like it. Everybody uh, has the same audience that used to just be reserved for the evening news, right? So, so everybody has the ability. And, and you know, you see this with, you know, guys who get into Twitter wars um, and, and, you know, somebody might have 300,000 followers and yet they're sitting there arguing with a guy who's got three followers. Yeah. And, and that guy has the same voice mm-hmm. in this argument as the one with 300,000 people that follow. Yeah. But, and, and I think to echo that is like you're talking about where you grew up, like if someone said something derogatory that wasn't in the network, that wasn't in the family, there might be a fight. There might be some yelling and screaming, but it's handled there, and it usually ends right there. Today, to your point, it doesn't happen like that because the megaphone is so big, and there's nowhere to get away from it. And there are people willing to exploit it for their own profit, right. their own visibility, their for own sure. brand. That's a real problem. And I think I look at some of the stories that, that we cover uh, on, on the sports talk station here about athletes who get in trouble or athletes who do goofy things, and sometimes I say to myself, you know, this seems a little staged. It seems a little over the top, and for 36 hours, this guy or gal got a lot more attention than they normally do, and without any ramifications. 
I mean, it happens. So you feel so like they put themselves in the situation just to get that attention? Well, uh, let's say they didn't avoid the situation okay. for sure. Okay, right. they didn't downplay the situation. They didn't apologize, and in, in many cases, they doubled down on it. And I'm wondering what you know, what's the motive here? My daughter, uh, who's 23, and, and her friends were talking the other day about how. Um, Paris Hilton is a role model in in so many respects, and they really respect the brand that she's built for herself. and And uh, they put Kim Kardashian in this same uh, light. and And so these girls are in their early twenties, right? Um, and and you know, there's they're talking about how they are so careful about crafting their images and what they put out on social media. And, and you know, my comment was, now does that include the thing that made them famous in the first place, other than being born wealthy, um, which is making a very explicit right. sex tape? that was uh, released to the world um, that got them noticed. It's like, are you saying that that was carefully manicured yeah. and procured? And that Some they people would say yes. It might have been. And, and, and yet, you know, that would be uh, kind of a risky way to go about making yourself a billionaire. But, um, you know. Yeah, I'm so embarrassed. The sex tape has been released. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and uh, I need to, to talk to gambling. my broker. We need to invest <laughs> yeah. in it. Putting a bow on this topic, where do you all see this going? Where will the boundaries be? Where will the school be able to react? and punish or take a step back and say we can't well there are limits on constitutional rights and on the exercise of constitutional rights and and the first amendment is no exception i got news for your listeners the second amendment is no exception there are limits on the exercise of constitutional rights and the supreme court is the arbiter of where those boundaries are they can draw a line uh, and it may not be a clear-cut line, right? I mean, you remember the famous definition of pornography uh, from Thurgood Marshall. I'll know it when I see it. Um, there may not be a clear-cut line because any decision they make today about something on Snapchat, a year from now, two years from now— It'll be is, a different platform altogether. Right, we don't even know what it might be, right? right. So, so, But the concept—and this is where the Supreme Court will, I think, rule— the bigger picture of these, these blurred distinctions between when a person is on the job or off the job, when they're on campus or off campus— they're going to issue some pretty, um, hopefully, useful guidelines that allow for sensible administration of some degree of discipline here to say that you can't just say anything you want to say anytime you want to say it in this context. Well, we start with a ruling probably of, of the Supreme Court 80 or 90 or 100 years ago that said freedom of speech has its limitations. You can't shout fire in a, in a crowded theater, right? So it starts with that. That's a bright line. You'd think, of course. Uh, 30 years ago, Frank Zappa testified in front of a committee led by Tipper Gore, I believe, who was very upset about some foul language in the, in the pop music. And, and of course, uh, Frank just eviscerated the entire committee. It's a great YouTube. And I think that's, I think that's where we're going. I, I think the Supreme Court is going to have a real difficult problem setting up any guidelines because the, the posts, the markers, the technology – will change between the hearing of the oral argument and the and the decision of sure. that'll come down late this summer. There'll be three more platforms and five more languages in seven different countries and so, and so I think they're going to have to quite frankly just open up the, the doors and sort of let I hate to say it this way but let's fight it out. I really do. I think it's just going to have to be fought. And I think, you know, they should start by uh, getting rid of uh, New York Times versus Sullivan. Let's get rid of that. Let's not give the protections to the big media players, CBS, radio, whatever, and uh, New York Times, and say, hey, if you hurt somebody in your speech, 
you can get sued. Let's just sue each other. That's what we lawyers do. Let's go to court. <laughs> right. so, Let's take them to court. So walk through that because I don't know that everybody knows what that ruling is when, sure. when you're talking about uh, being protected. I, I want to say it's early 1960s, Times versus Sullivan. Supreme Court says, well, we're going to give the media a lot of latitude on what they say as long as it wasn't intentional. Now, we've got no journalists anymore, journalists who journalists. went to real journalism yeah, school. Right. There's no standards. There's no editing. Mm-mm. Things, it's 24-7 news or commentary. Nobody's filtering anything. No barrier to yeah. entry. Yeah, I mean, for 50 years ago, if you wanted to publish something, an op-ed on the Sunday New York Times, you worked on it for a month. You had five senior editors, and a, and a, was it Mr. Schlossenberger who owned the New York Times? I'm not trying to mispronounce it. Right. I guess, something like that. And and then it got published, okay? Mm-hmm. So it was vetted. Nothing's vetted mm-hmm. anymore. Right now, everybody is a journalist. Any, right. you know, any, any person who can put together a website um, can put something out there, and, and it's so hard to filter what's legitimate and what's not. You know, I mean, hey, we're going to come out with a story that uh, the Biden administration is banning meat and you're going to be allocated a hamburger per year. And suddenly, you know, they were talking about it for two days. You know, there's no um, real guidelines like there used to be where there was journalistic standards and integrity. I think they still exist. But but the distinction between that and just some guy who wants to say whatever he wants to say. On his podcast. Yeah. Who can say whatever he wants to say. And gets magnified the same way. Right. No, you're exactly right. It is. Everybody has the voice. Everybody has the access to get whatever message it is out there, right or wrong. If I just want to vent about somebody, I can do that on a podcast. I can do that on my blog. I can do that anywhere. Heck, somebody thought it would be a good idea to put these two lawyers on the air. So, you know, here <laughs> well, we are. But, well, but, you know, at least in this, we have some sort of precedent, right? You guys have been in the courtroom. You guys have talked about some of these cases and seen some of these things develop where guy like me, I'm just lucky to be in here and hear the expertise that you have. Well, also, we have skin in the game. We're practicing lawyers. We have great, I think, two great law firms. We have reputations in the community. Uh, we want to maintain those. And one of the ways to undo those is to say something angry, mean, stupid, poorly thought out, right? It gets sent around the world in 30 like, seconds. Like the young lady with her Snapchat. Yeah, right? like we see happening with a very prominent uh, lawyer here in Atlanta who has, um, you know, gone very public here during this last election cycle and is now, um, you know, on a daily basis, either being applauded by, uh, you know, some segment of society for being such a brave true speaker and and looked at as an absolute raving lunatic by many others, including the state bar of Georgia. Let me ask you about that. I'm offended that the state bar of Georgia is thinking about requiring a mental health examination of this lawyer. The first thing I thought of was like, can they even do that? Right. Now now, to bring it up. and, And now one thing the public may not know is that, you know, as lawyers, we do have to um, pass a test uh, of showing that we're fit to practice law. Meaning the bar, right? The bar has right. to declare that, that we passed a fitness test, and it's sure. not a physical fitness test, yeah. but that you're mentally sound. Uh, and and apparently, because I had the exact same thought raised, like, I don't think they need to come back and question me just because I say hateful things that suddenly I'm unfit to practice law. Um, but there is a um, apparently the ability to qualify a lawyer for their mental health and mental well-being. Well, we, we certainly had ju- have had the bar and judges look into lawyers perhaps from a substance issue they but the, you know out of court they were they got duis or drug offenses right and what regardless of the outcome of the charges uh so yes the bar can monitor our you know try to help us really that's what it's about so that we don't harm the clients but the lawyer in question his commentary is completely out of court it's public commentary he's he's expressing his political opinion 
uh, and I, I admit some of it is extreme, uh, but for expressing your public opinion, to which, quite frankly, probably almost 70 million people voted <laughs> last November for similar opinions. Would, would you agree with that? I mean, you and I are a little uh, bit I of, think I think he these may represents be the extreme a, part a of real that. small percentage of that 70 okay. million. Okay. But, but even still, and you're right, but, but now he, it's not just private because he also signed on to several lawsuits where – uh, you know, he was espousing these same conspiracy theories and putting it out there. But again, you know, does that mean you're uh, un- incapable of being a practicing attorney? The state bar uh, that regulates lawyers, um, you know, also is too concerned, I think, but concerned about how the profession is perceived by the public. And so in an effort to try to protect the, the public, are they going too far in this particular case? And, and you know, I remember my father was a, a lawyer, says, you know, part of my job is is to stand up for you to say the most hateful things you want to say because I respect and will defend to the death your right to say those things. Sure, sure. Yeah, which it's different today. It is. Even though that, that is still a tenet of freedom of speech, we're in a different world today. So your lawyer can protect you and give you the right to say those things. But it goes back to the social media and the megaphone. It doesn't protect you from all of the people who disagree with you vehemently, whatever your your side is, from picketing out in front of your house and just all kinds of reactions that we probably wouldn't have had to deal with and maybe your father didn't have to deal with a long time ago. It's just a different world, or at least I see it that way. Well, I think the exposure is also so much greater. I guess that's what I was trying to say. So, So now this particular lawyer who, you know, quite frankly, up until very recently, I think had a heck of a great reputation for the area of law that he works in, which is the defense of First Amendment cases. Right. And has been very successful. successful. Now, he may have to appear on behalf of a client in front of a judge who, who is concerned about his fitness or about his opinion or a jury, some members of which, wait a second, this cat is off his rocker. Yeah. So last question before we wrap this segment. Is there a reason legally that you never told me who this man is because I have no idea? <laughs> well, I, I think the main reason is that this guy has made his bones by suing people who uh, say things that can be considered as disparaging somebody's reputation. So, yeah. Uh, so we're so, being you know, careful. We, we don't need to, we don't need to add ourselves into this, right. even though for the last two weeks we've been journalists. <laughs> I love it. But but it's fascinating because I couldn't help but notice there was that avoidance, right? Well, first of all, presumption of innocence. Of okay. Course. I yep. mean, I and, and secondly, there's no no criminal charges. There's no lawsuits. There's no, I don't think there's a formal bar complaint by nope. an agreed client, which is how bar complaints go to the bar. It's the bar association, sua sponte, on its own, deciding that. We don't like his opinions, and we're going to look into his mental mental wellness to practice law. I think they need at least probable cause to do that. And I don't think an opinion that may be a minority opinion is probable cause for that. And, and I would just say that I think the things that this guy has said and done are so outrageous that the bar is justified in going a little bit further and digging into whether this guy is mentally sound to be able to represent citizens of Georgia in legal matters. You're listening to Your Day in Court here on Extra 106.3 with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. My name is Tug Cowart. When we come back, we're going to touch on the very, very sad story from South Georgia about Ahmed Aubrey. You've heard about the case. We'll discuss it next on Your Day in Court.
The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. When you buy a used car, don't be taken for a ride. Get Ford Blue Advantage certified at Wade Ford, Atlanta's headquarters for factory certified pre-owned vehicles. Go to wadeford.com. There you'll find a great selection of Ford Blue Advantage certified used cars, trucks, and SUVs with Blue certified. Nearly all makes and all models are in stock now. You'll find something perfect for just about any budget. Buy with confidence at the Wade Ford factory certified used car outlet at wadeford.com. Wade Ford, we are Atlanta's Ford dealer. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 1063. Welcome back to your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice here on Extra 1063. My name is Tug Cowart. Going to talk about a story from South Georgia that is incredibly sad, and it has ended up with federal hate crime charges. In the Ahmed Aubrey killing, three men, Travis McMichael, his father Gregory McMichael, and William Roddy Bryan, they face federal hate crime charges in the death of Ahmed Aubrey. He was killed while he was out on a jog. They say that he was uh, snooping around in, in some property that he didn't own or he didn't belong snooping around on. And so they got in their truck, chased him down, and ultimately killed him. This was down in Brunswick, Georgia. Bruce, it's my understanding the state of Georgia had already filed murder charges against these people, but now the feds have stepped in. Correct. They're all facing malice and felony murder charges and aggravated assault charges already from the state of Georgia. The state of Georgia, at the time that this incident occurred, did not have a hate crime statute. And so the Justice Department has come in and they convened a uh, federal grand jury this, this week that returned an indictment um, that included um, hate crime and attempted kidnapping charges against these three individuals, basically saying that um, you've violated these uh, this man's civil rights, and part of the motivation for doing so was based on the color of his skin, which is a hate crime, and we're going to prosecute you for that separately from anything that the state of Georgia is doing. Exactly right. Uh, one thing that would have happened in, under the prior administration of the government, the United States government, Republican administration, that was not done. Okay, this case occurred sometime last year, middle of the year. Now we have a new administration, a new U.S. attorney that is filtering down a more aggressive prosecution of hate crimes. Uh, so now we have an indictment. Now, some may say that's political. Yeah, it's political. It, there, there was an election and a different attitude, a different enforcement policy is in effect, and, and rightly or wrongly, and now they're indicted in federal court. Now, as, as Bruce wisely points out, the federal case is not in any way going to derail the state case. The state case is way down the railroad track. I don't know when trial is going to be set, but I'll bet it's in the next four or five months. The federal case will probably be put off until the conclusion of the state case. That's my opinion. The feds can sit back and say, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Prosecutor, and, and I think uh, the GBI has got a special prosecutor, you all get convictions and get us a lot of good testimony and have the court reporter type it up and bring it up to us. That will make our job a little bit easier. And then they will prosecute these guys. This this will not be a, a little quick plea bargain on a Friday afternoon. I guarantee you that this federal case will go to trial regardless of the outcome 
in Brunswick, even they're all convicted and sent to prison for the rest of their lives, they're going to be brought back to federal court and they're going to go on trial. Is there any concern about the federal charges being brought down now? Does that influence anything that goes on in the court case now? I don't believe so at okay. all. I don't believe so at all. I don't, I don't believe it'll hurt the jury pool. Again, that's why I think they'll indict them and then just let the case sit in federal court so that there's no dual trial going on at the same right. time. Because that could. If the feds went to trial first, that may have an impact on picking a fair jury in Brunswick. So the feds will sit back. They've got their charges. And they're making a political statement from the new U.S. attorney, Mr. Garland, who almost made it to the Supreme Court. Right. And interestingly, in the uh, state court charges, one of the defenses is that um, these gentlemen were – um, exercising their right to make a citizen's arrest because they believed a crime was in the process of being committed. Um, in the last legislative session, the Georgia legislature repealed Georgia's citizen's arrest law, um, basically saying this should not be the basis mm-hmm. for right. you to hunt down a man and kill him in the street, and suddenly you say that you know we're exercising our rights as citizens to do that. I mean, that sounds like something off the Andy Griffith show. It yeah, sure does. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, it's, I, I it's, say it's, that in jest. It's and, benign and when Barney serious, Fife but, is saying it, but, right. you know, when... when, uh, when he's trying to get Otis to lock himself <laughs> yeah, up. Right. <laughs> but, but, you know, when you're talking about guys with shotguns and, yeah, and that's you know, trucks chasing after somebody running through the neighborhood, it's very real, and you saw the consequences here. Yeah, the reason I brought that up about the federal charges potentially or, or possibly influencing the state trial is because the lawyers, the attorneys representing uh, Travis McDonald told NPR, and this is according to NPR, NPR.org, that uh, they were upset that the Justice Department brought the false narrative that the media and state prosecutors had put out there to begin with. So with his attorney saying that, that's why I wondered if they were using that. Is that a strategy? And they'll absolutely file a motion to, uh, for mistrial, for double jeopardy, as Bruce points out. I'm certain the law does not apply there. Uh, and lay an appellate record so that when <laughs> there's a conviction in Brunswick, which I believe there will be, uh, even though we know some of the lawyers involved and they're going to do their best to defend these gentlemen, uh, and I use that term loosely, uh, they're going to have at least later record, a notice of appeal, and argue that, but I, I think it's meritless, to be honest with you. But it's their job. You have to lay down. As defense counsel, if there's something that you think is a valid appellate point or a, a position tactically to strengthen your client's case or weaken the state's case, you are obligated to do so as long as it's not frivolous. And to the extent that they, may, uh, these defense lawyers may be thinking that potential jurors are paying attention now who we're going to be vetting when it comes to voir dire process for jury selection at the actual trial, let me start laying the groundwork right now for, for what we think about this. Because the alternative is to say we have no comment. Mm-hmm. And, and that, you know, sometimes that's appropriate. But, you know, these are defense lawyers. They're paid to defend somebody. So you expect them to stand up and say, say that, you know, my client sure. is innocent of all charges and we look forward to our day in court. And I'm sorry that, you know, you've taken up, the Justice Department has taken up this false narrative perpetuated by the media. Okay, you know, there are folks who are going to buy into that. And it'll be yeah. a voir dire question to the jurors in selecting this first jury for the murder charges here in Brunswick. Have you heard about the federal indictment? Does that impact your view of this case? Can you render a fair judgment based solely on the evidence in this case and not what some order out of the out of the federal government came yeah. from? You know? and, and, and Ray and I, you know, we, we say we just don't want to get too far down into the weeds on these stories, sure. but, but there's such a difference in the way juries are picked in state court from the way they're picked in federal court. And and in state court, as much as you're, it's, it's just a matter in both processes of trying to root out anybody who's got bias, that's improper bias, and, and eliminate them and then pick 12 potentially neutral, unbiased jurors, 
But in state court, the, the, the lawyers have a lot to say. We get to ask the questions. So the theatrics can kick in early. You know, I mean, we really can get to work at a very early uh, part of the case trying to influence the jury before we even know who's going to be on that jury. Sure. And we do this in the way we ask the questions and the questions we ask. In federal court, we sit there, basically our hands in our laps, while the judge asks the questions that have been pre-approved by the judge. There's no uh, theatrics whatsoever. There's no right. motion. And it's really hard to try to figure out who's got uh, a strong opinion one way or the other unless you know somebody just spews like a volcano. In the state court, if you're doing your job picking a jury... By the time that jury's sworn in, before the opening statements, they know it's an armed robbery case, and this is your client's they defense, should, right? and you've got an alibi witness coming, and have you ever seen somebody wrongly accused in a bad mug shot or lineup? I mean, mm-hmm. that's yeah. if you're doing your job, and it's judge to judge. It's, you know, what could go on in one courtroom, in one courthouse, on the same floor, on the same kind of case, can be completely different. I will say, and this is my 36th year in the practice of law, I see more state court judges going towards the federal type of jury selection, which is a much more pre-made questions, vetted by the judge, much less ability to get out from behind the podium. And I like to say, hook your fingers in your belt and kind of, <laughs> kind of get in the, the potential juror's lap. And they just right. don't let you. They're cutting back on that. Yeah, so. and I'm sure once we get back to jury selection in the COVID era, it's going to be even more so. Right, even even less uh, less of an easy time to try to get somebody to look you in the eye. I mean, you know, somebody's wearing a mask and a face shield. How are you supposed to gauge their facial expressions that if I say something, I can tell they hate me? They bit yeah. their lip. Right? Yeah. They, they stuck their tongue at it. They yeah. smiled. Yeah. They frowned. 80% yeah. of mm-hmm. the way we communicate is through things other than the other words than we say. Yeah, right? that's correct. And, and so if I can't really monitor your nonverbal communications to me, how can I tell, you know, if you're going to be a good juror for me or not or a fair juror? It's just like doing Zoom hearings. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to cross-examine a, a police officer by via Zoom. I can't see if he or she is really fiddling in their chair. Are they looking at their notes? Are they clicking their, you know, are they, do they have three silver balls in their hand like there's a Captain <laughs> Kane <laughs> from the Quig from the Kane Mutiny? We, you know, um, have you ever seen that? Yes, yeah. the, way, the three it's balls? Fantastic. Yes, yeah, and that's Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. We, we had a client being deposed yesterday in a case, uh, and it was a Zoom deposition because of COVID concerns. Um, and our client was doing this on his cell phone while driving a car. What? And, 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 and he's giving his deposition. And, and, and uh, there was another lawyer in my office who was handling this case. And we said, I need to take a break in this deposition for a minute. And just tell the client, don't you understand this is a car crash case that we're here yeah. on? And you're sitting here, you know, violating the law, driving your car, giving your deposition. Bonehead. Yeah. Go pull over into a Shoney's parking lot somewhere, you know, get yourself a shake, and let's just sit and do this deposition like normal people on Zoom do. I'm not asking you to put pants on. Just stop driving. on, sure. (laughs) In fact, I think that's par for the course nowadays. I love it. All right, final question here. We're in the last minute of the show. Is there any reason you could see this case being moved out of Brunswick, out of South Georgia? Not now. That motion's long been heard. Okay, Motion yeah, okay. to change venue. Now, what they did do is the GBI brought in special prosecutors. All of the local prosecutors, the district attorneys, I think th- two or three of them, recused themselves. Uh, there was some connections. I believe one of the defendants used to be in the sheriff's department in some job. So all the locals are recused. We're bringing in outsiders. Got it. And right. uh, it'll be tried in Brunswick. And tactically, they may not have wanted to move it out of Brunswick because, you know, who's going to come up here to for jury service are the people in this community And they may feel the same way as these defendants do about a black man running through their neighborhood. So they may not want to change venue. They may they may be very happy to stay there.
Fascinating conversation. It always is. If you didn't get to hear any of our conversation where we started out with the Derek Chauvin trial, talking about the jury, talking about the delay in sentencing, or the young lady who was on social media bad-mouthing with some pretty strong language her school because she got cut from the cheerleading program. If you didn't get to hear that, I encourage you to go listen to the podcast. You can get that on Apple, Spotify. You can get it on Google Podcasts. Or you can get it at thepodcastpark.com. You can get it on the Extra 106.3 app. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. When you buy a used car, don't be taken for a ride. Get Ford Blue Advantage certified at Wade Ford, Atlanta's headquarters for factory certified pre-owned vehicles. Go to wadeford.com. There you'll find a great selection of Ford Blue Advantage certified used cars, trucks, and SUVs with Blue certified. Nearly all makes and all models are in stock now. You'll find something perfect for just about any budget. Buy with confidence at the Wade Ford factory certified used car outlet at wadeford.com. Wade Ford. We are Atlanta's Ford dealer. This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. 